This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Russia is fake news. Russia, this is fake news put out by the media. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. We will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself. Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that healthcare could be so complicated. Gabe. Alternative facts to that, but the point remains. Alternative facts? facts. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. You're attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. Can you give us a question? I'm not going to give you a question. Can you stay categorical? You are fake news. Hi, this is President Donald Trump, and I need Alabama to go vote for Roy Moore. It is so important. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. You belong somewhere you feel free. It's been quite a year. It has been. listening to all that stuff is it gives me anxiety yes <laughs> yeah it, it, when you look back it really is uh, i think this is the mo- one of the most historic years in political history in the united states it's just you know it's just exceptional in terms of its bizarreness i'm gonna say ever ever <laughs> ever yes ever yep facts yeah we, Hi, we did have a we did have a civil war. That's true. That's true. Yes. That was a long time ago. Nobody remembers. And Vietnam was messy too. <laughs> I don't details. Welcome back, guys. Hey, hey good to be yeah. here. Parcel Politics. Uh, Nick McGuire, your host, uh, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from uh, Keene State College. Merry, Howdy. Merry Christmas. How's it going? Merry Christmas. Happy, almost Happy New Year. Yeah. Christmas is done. We're we, done with that. Phil, we, we can say Merry Christmas again, right? Yeah, Donald Trump won the war on Christmas, yeah, apparently. That's right. <laughs> mm. Sorry, I'm joking. I'm beer. Um, realistically, we, we, we're we just going to kind of go through what the past year was like, what our thoughts were, some of the predictions that we made that really were really off base, mostly on my part, um, and just kind of get a feel for where the hell we are at this point the year in review year in review 2017 yeah so i i mean it it was it it was it was dominated by by trump we talk about almost nothing else at this point which is insane to me considering how much other shit has gone on this year it's true yes before we went on air phil you were talking (laughs) about his american carnage inaugural address and how significant that was and whether or not that set the tone and how consistent he has been in that message. But I, I do think it set a tone, right? This idea that the forgotten men in the women country will be forgotten no more. I mean, he was he was giving us a hint of the extraordinary change that was going to be brought. Um, I don't feel forgotten. You don't feel forgotten? No, because people call me Nazi now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, so it, it's interesting as we, you know, we're just, we kind of talked about how we're just going to, have a freeform discussion here today but thinking about thinking back on this year i it's so easy to get caught up in the week-to-week stuff that seems insane but just 
I haven't done that much looking back, but thinking back to the beginning of this year and then hearing those quotes, thinking back to all the, I had somehow totally forgotten about all of the debate about the size of the inaugural crowd and then yes. thinking again about this, <laughs> his inaugural dress, which was just bizarre. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the inaugural address was like you're saying, Bill, I think it, it did, it did set a tone. I, I think one of the interesting things that has come up this, this year or one of the things looking back on the first year of the Trump presidency that I would kind of point to is the the clear difference between the rhetoric and the actual actions and policies that are coming out of it. It's not to say that they're totally disjointed. I mean, he there's there have been big changes on um, immigration, right on the uh, immigration is the one where I can I see actual stuff happening, even if it's not the building of the wall or whatever. But this real fiery rhetoric about foreign policy, about um uh, like you, like you said, the forgotten man, uh, you know, that, that has been consistent throughout and the, the crazy insistence on, on their worldview. Like, so if you think about the debate about the inaugural crowd, that was oddly, um, predictive of what was going to, you know, how this Trump presidency was going to play out as well, where we have these debates about seemingly small stuff or the, it's not small stuff. It's, it's like clear facts that, that they're like, they're sticking to their, you know, their version of truth. I, you know, I thought when he gave that speech and afterwards, given the campaign, that, that we would see incompetence. And that would be the major story of the first year in office is that this was. And an, you were right. Well, yes, <laughs> I think that's a story, but it's maybe not the story. Uh, so in other ways, he's been very, very effective and maybe not legislatively, although if you ask him, they say they've passed more bills than anybody in history. But that's just not true. Not true it was right? true up into 100 days. And then since then, it's not no longer true but while they have there has been a lot of incompetence there's also been an efficiency at just tearing down the norms that have defined our democracy for such a long period of time and that that may have a more lasting impact and i don't know if that was intentional or not but that's one thing that just leaps out at me uh now we hear when he starts yelling fake news at, at things we don't even we don't even pause that's just that's just the way he is maybe it is fake news <laughs> but <laughs> now he's everything's thrown fake. seed of doubt <laughs> yeah no absolutely everything is fake news and every there is no truth all of that is all blurry and and i don't know if we could have predicted that a year ago hmm. so it, so, I mean, that, uh, let's talk about that for a second, about yeah. whether they are incompetent or ha have they been effective in this for has the Trump administration been effective? Um, because on one hand, like you're saying, there's been one piece of like one significant piece of legislation, which was the tax bill that just passed. Uh, none of their other major pieces of legislation went through. Um, they, they Yeah, they give this the, the the image that they put forth is of sort of incompetence or, you know, bungling through things. Um there's been so much focus on the Russia investigation and ties there. Uh, so on, and on one hand there, they have, they have been sort of historically ineffective. Um, but on the other hand, while we talk about all of that stuff, there has been a tremendous amount. So both on, I'll come back to what you were said, said a second ago, uh, in a minute, Bill, but they've done a lot through executive orders, right? Changing, um, you know, the changing, uh, certainly environmental policy, immigration policy, um, general regulation. Yeah. Mm. Regulation in general, the stuff that, that is within the, the, the power of the Trump administration, right? The executive branch, he's done a lot. Um, I don't know that. 
I don't know that I would say that he's been particularly active compared to other presidents, but I think this idea or this story that the Republicans can't get anything done um, overshadows or, or people pay attention to that. You know, they miss the forest for the trees yeah. or something. In this case, they're missing the trees for the forest, forest. right? <laughs> they're, they're so focused on the big picture that they're missing all of the little stuff that's actually happening. And that doesn't take into account what, like you were saying, the, the really kind of hard to measure changes in terms of attitudes towards government, attitudes towards, you know, immigrants, towards the media, all of these other things. So I just talked a whole bunch, but the question <laughs> I'm asking is, are they, have, has this been effective or not? If you were, if you're a Trump supporter, are you happy? Ah, that's a different question, but, but yeah. Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I get thrown that one? Because I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't like it's it's hard to determine because that I when it comes to Trump supporters, as much as you want to, you know, believe media reports and the media in general saying that, you know, he has historically low approval ratings and people are, you know, um, uh, what's the word defecting from the Republican Party in droves. You have a minor discussion with just kind of everyday people that lean right, and they go, yeah, he's kind of a bumbling asshole, mm -hmm. but I like that he has just kind of thrown everything into disarray. I mean, is didn't we want some of this structural bureaucratic nonsense to get stripped and, you know... I, I mean, in this situation, stripped and then, you know, doused with gasoline and set on fire. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I I think it's something that we talk a lot about it's hard to nail down a a specific legislative or or institutional um effect that he's had but from just kind of an a an um emotional uh and a, a belief centric uh perspective i think he's 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 still in touch with definitely his base and with a large portion of the republican party and uh people who lean even slightly right Absolutely. And it speaks to how we're going to measure success and effectiveness. So Paul Ryan, if I'm Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell, other than the tax reform, I have to say this was a total, just absolutely lost year. Nothing happened. None of the major legislation we wanted to get done got done. It was a total waste. If I'm a Trump supporter or if I'm Steve Bannon, I say we have eviscerated the media. We've made we, – we have – poked holes in the idea of an objective, truthful media. Uh, I'm, if I think about this more in terms of a, a nationalistic angle or white nationalism or race, we have made race maybe the, one of these central issues again, uh, mobilized uh, neo-Nazis, white nationalists. I mean, so, I'll, so in terms of that dynamic, the culture wars are back. It's been very, very effective, but not very productive in terms of a conventional Republican. Mm -hmm. uh, what they agenda, what they would be looking for. Yeah, I think that's true. I think by by traditional standards, by the way you would judge a, a traditional president, you would say this has been, uh, you know, you would give I don't know, you would give Trump a a, a D at best, right? Yeah. But if you view him as if if you view this more as like a paradigm shift, right? As like some you're really trying to change the way we think of government and the jo the job of the government. Um, he I think you he gets he gets more credit there whether he, that's been intentional or not he's been effective at that so what's worse uh if if trump had gotten both tax reform and repealed obamacare and put something else in 
Or is it worse that he's been able to attack the media the way he has and the way he's been able to mobilize race and gender and use those as tools? Like, what is there is one more pernicious than the other as, as you guys look at it? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a strong opinion on that. Yeah. yeah. If you if uh, so, if you gave me the choice. So I, I was opposed to I, the the Obamacare repeal. I was opposed to this tax bill. But if you gave me the choice of having Mike Pence as president and getting the Republican agenda passed through Congress um, versus this, I would take the Pence with their agenda. Because then, I mean, the whole idea is if if the institutions work and if you value the institutions, then there's the then you can change. Right. You you mobilize, you vote for somebody else, you change the laws back. Right. You can pass legislation to undo bad legislation. It, it is easier to undo legislation you disagree with. It's not easy, but it's easier than trying to uh, somehow recreate or or rebuild trust in the institutions themselves. Once those start to be undermined, that's a much harder process. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think in the short term, it, there's a tendency to say, well, I'll take, you know, uh, Trump for the short term. Um, over some, you know, really strategically effective, uh, super conservative. But I, 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 I go the other way. I think that that this is more dangerous in the long run. Especially when you think about, you know, the attack on the media and, and not even so much the media, but the idea of objective truth. So that, you know, the opening clip talked about alternative facts. And I had kind of forgotten that. But that was the first seed really attacking the media and attacking this idea that we can have an objective reality out there. That's very, very dangerous. And his ability to attack the very institutions that he's leading. So he can attack the FBI. I mean, basically, you know, he's in charge of the federal government, so he's in charge of the FBI. But he's getting the public to believe that that institution is biased and corrupt and try to separate him from this larger institution. It's I, I, I agree with you, Phil, that I, I think that's more concerning long term in terms of democratic development. Can I play devil's advocate? Yeah, please. Sorry, Phil. Um, so... Uh, while I don't necessarily disagree with the standpoint, what I do disagree with is you can say that he has, you know, whether it's attacks on the media or, you know, um, statements on uh, race or, or gender or anything like that, you wouldn't have these kinds of, of backlashes and, and um, general disagreement if those problems didn't already exist. So he may have exacerbated that, or people feel more um, able to discuss these things, but those were deep-seated underlying issues that were going to come out at some point. What my thought is that if uh, if there was an effective Republican president or even um, a Democratic president in the office right now who you fundamentally disagreed with, who was able to push their agenda through as part of a corrupt system who the American population doesn't agree with in the first place. And I mean, this entire election was based around the fact that we don't trust our institutions. I, I find that a lot more disconcerting having someone who is strategically minded and, you know, a, a very um, has tunnel vision on what they want to get accomplished and will find ways to stop people after them from reversing those decisions legislative victories seem much more harmful right now than i think the i i'm not saying it's not bad but i'm i'm saying there are, 
it's probably a discussion that we need to be having, mm-hmm. whether or not you agree with the way the discussion is being right. had. So I, um, I, my my response to that, and it's not necessarily to disagree, to to not necessarily to disagree with you, but, um, I. So it seems like this is all of this kind of gets tied up in in this kind of complaint that we've had um, throughout the year about the kind of partisanship and animosity that has had. part of the problem is that we have we as Americans have come to see legislative victories by the other side as so terrible that we're willing to tear down the system to prevent it. Right. And, we and if we could get back to that. Right. So if we could like <laughs> there, there's this part of me that longs for these the the good old days. Right. Um, there were lots of things that weren't good about them. But this idea of, um, you know, we have two different sides and and we're going to win. We'll you know, we'll pass our legislation. And in a few years, the other side, if they win, they'll be able to undo it possibly or vice versa. But it's the idea that the other side isn't evil. They just have a different view of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you start to think that the other side is that if they win, it, it is so catastrophic that it has to be prevented at all costs. That that's that's what gets us here, right? And so, I don't know. I mean, that you but you were kind of saying that legislative victories matter, but I but I'm kind of I kind of want to say that that's part of the problem is that we. It's not that they don't matter because they affect lives in very real ways, but um, it, it's this kind of all or nothing attitude about legislation that gets us to where we're we're so hateful and so unwilling to cooperate or compromise. And that had been there for a while. Right. Yep. But as you said, Trump makes that more extreme, right? He doesn't allow right. any middle ground. He doesn't allow, if you're Jeff Flake or Bob Corker, if you try to have a middle, middle ground here, it's you're, you're left alone because the Democrats right. don't embrace you and the Republicans don't. Um, something else you said that if that these feelings have always been there. Some of these, the, the culture world, uh, war dynamics, were they, in, would they, is it inevitable that they would come out? Or did Trump just seize upon them and light the flame? And it's an interesting question. I'm not, I'm not sure. You're right that they're there. But did they have to play out in the way they did? Or did Trump play a unique role in making those a prominent issue? And I, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm yes. sure. I think, yeah, he seized yes. on the opportunity. Two, There's yeah. no, it's not even a question about it. <laughs> Two things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what's interesting as we're talking about this is that crossover point mm-hmm. where um, we have this distrust in the institutions and the way things are run. And again, it may have been exacerbated right now. But I also think that the institutions themselves and the people who are uh, part or or run those institutions are in some ways responsible for that kind of, you know, me versus you, left versus right, good versus evil dynamic that we're in now. It's I, I don't think that the American population in general is nearly as polarized or... Um, animalistic and, and tribal as we're, we're coming off to be. I think that it's at least partially been manipulated by elements of the institutions and the way things are presented and even some elements of the media, which I, again, I'm not saying that the media is, you know, solely responsible for the way that things are playing out, but you know, you can understand the thought process of people who go, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the other side is is evil and you know lizard people and you know we can't trust anything that they say whatsoever and they should be killed. It feels to me as if uh, Donald <clears throat> Trump that last you know, one, rips but... a bandaid off 
and allows people to say the things that maybe they wanted to say. So things that they would only say in private. Now he gives you that that model where you can say, look, he's saying these things I've always wanted to say, whether it was about race or sexuality or gender. Like he can now, you know, this whole idea that we don't have to be politically correct anymore is to me it seems so, dangerous. I uh hey there, comrade. <laughs> So I, the way you were saying, you you, you threw in that it seems dangerous at the end, but you the way you were talking about it, almost you almost were making an argument that this is good, that that this is all these things were under the surface and we've ripped the bandaid off. And and could you say that this is? I mean, this is ugly. This how it's playing out this year. But these conversations are happening, right? People are, are we're talking about, you know, you know. The, the far right, we're talking about neo-Nazis, we're talking about immigration, we're talking about like tax policy and women's issues, and we're talking about, you know, all of these issues that people, you know, I, we had kind of gotten cozy into our circles where we talked to only people like us. And I don't know, is it, is it like a venting? Are we like venting some that that's taking some of the pressure off that that actually might uh, leave us in a better place after you know, kind of an, an ugly run of a few years. And, and this was the great leader's plan in all of this, right? Just, <laughs> right. Just right. Brilliant. <laughs> right. It would be. <laughs> I, I think some conversations are more productive than others. And, and I yeah. think to, to your point, the, the Me Too movement certainly was seized upon Trump to allow this conversation to take place. And I would say that was a really, it's been a really, really good conversation, one that had to happen. Did we have to have a conversation about whether white nationalists and Nazis have a, a perspective that we need to hear? I, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure about that. But Phil, maybe Phil we, disagrees. I, like, no, no, I don't. I don't disagree. Like I have, I have no use for like a white supremacist adi- approach. But apparently, we did need to have that conversation, right? Yeah. Um, in that, I, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't like that we had. It's it. It kind of pisses me off, and it's shameful that here we are in 2017, and we have to have that conversation. But Apparently that conversation needed to be had. That's I don't. I mean, that's I don't interesting. Know. No, I know. I, the more you talk, the more I'm. I'm convinced that some of this is good, but it still depends on how that conversation ultimately plays out. Sure. If it's white true. nationalists are starting to suddenly start winning seats in government, then I think this right. is we've made a wrong turn. Here. We haven't seen any evidence. We've seen the complete opposite of that. As a matter of fact, so I, yeah, I, I mean, maybe this brought that to light and has stopped that kind of underlying thread that was there, and it's been exposed at this point. Maybe you know, as horrible as some of the results have been of this nationwide discussion, maybe it's not all bad. And I think that's that, you guys are onto something because when you think about Charlottesville. <laughs> As awful as that was, and as, as much as that hurt to see our country go through that again, since that moment, when we, you know, I, I listened back to uh, that tape of us, and we were, we were worrying about whether this movement had legs, and the reality is it didn't. It exposed them as a group of hate, and, you know, there have been other rallies, but not to any really dangerous degree, and we've seen that there is a bunch of friction within these groups, uh, and I think, so, so maybe having that conversation, maybe exposing that segment of society has led to a catharsis mm-hmm. catharsis yeah <laughs> i don't that's, that's the word. it's it's a hard it's a hard decision i mean i don't I, i'm not advocating for the i'm not trying to argue that this has all been good that Trump's been good right. for the soul <laughs> <laughs> right i i had a i had an interaction in in class uh a couple of year a couple of years ago in which 
we were talking about something and I brought up survey data on gay marriage and, and I had a student in class who got very upset at, at the number of people who opposed gay marriage. And, and it was a it was an interesting com- I, I, I talked with a student after class and it was sort of an interesting conversation to me because that's one of those that that is it's, it's a fact, right? This is the polling data. This is what people think. And it seems like it, it's useful to be aware of that, um, whether you like it, whether it's upsetting to you or not. It's important to understand that. And that's kind of how I see this sort of white supremacy thing. Um, I don't like it, uh, but it, it's, it, you know, I think it has been a, an, an important, an unfortunate, but, but significant part of American society for a long time. And, and if this has brought it to the surface in some way that has led us to actually have a discussion and a debate about what what that means and how we we deal with it and you know I, it would have been great if this 2017 had been happy and everyone had gotten along and you know we all hugged each other at the end of the year but maybe there's something good that comes out of this are we are we capable of even having those productive discussions in this era of social media twitter facebook i mean that's the other thing even if that's the case even if trump is exposing conversations that need to happen I'm not sure as a society we're capable of even having them in a productive way anymore. We've been having that conversation for a year. On we wouldn't podcast. be able to do that. Yeah. Other, well, like, I, I mean, realistically, had Hillary won or had any other circumstance occurred other than Trump winning, I, like we would have had the same dull discussions about everything in politics that we would have had the past eight years. This has given us such, and I'm not saying this from like a, a you know a showman you know, yellow media kind of thing. Like, these were interesting and, you know, very important things to talk about. And we're talking about them from differing perspectives that, like, I don't I don't necessarily know that any other situation, not any other situation, but this situation and being able to have this conversation is really good. And it shows that people can have that conversation. Granted, there are a lot of really fucking dumb people out there. So if Hillary, if Hillary had won the election, do you know how different our podcast would have been? Oh god! I, mean, just, I can't even conceive of yeah. what this would look like. The conver- you're yeah. right. The conversations would be fundamentally different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. Oh, Phil, you're breaking up. We lost you. Can't no. hear you. <laughs> what? What? Oh, is that? You're back. back. You're back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> going into the matrix, <laughs> the, the deep states listening in. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, on the question about whether we ca- we're capable of having this conversation, I I don't know that we are. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that you we, uh, the way you get back to being able to have this conversation is by doing it right by four right. it's like it's like when you're like deeply out of shape like me and you decide <laughs> to start running it's hard as hell at first right and you want to quit but that's how you get there and so i think about like after so after charlottesville right um there were a number of white supremacist marches there was one in boston right and all these people showed up and some of them were yelling and hateful but some of them were actually engaging in a conversation that didn't necessarily go well but it was a conversation that wouldn't have happened. So we may not be very good at it, but I think maybe this is forcing us to have those conversations that we don't want to have, that we're not good at. And that's how we maybe start to get back to being. That's I'm, I'm being really optimistic about stuff. What the hell is good. wrong with me? Dude, if, if, I'm not this optimistic normally. I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> it's all the vacation time. If we have looking back at 2017, which clearly was historic in terms of its political impact, do we expect 2018 
to be as revolutionary in terms of just like day to day, almost hour by hour. No, because we'll all be dead. Because <laughs> <That's right. Okay. laughs> we're going to war with North Korea. <laughs> I mean, is, is it possible that this pace of political urgency and crisis continues? Or do we expect a more mild version of a Trump presidency in 2018? You want so, to take that one? <laughs> no, I like this question. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think of it a little differently. I don't know that it's a question of whether or not the Trump presidency will be more mild. I, I think of it in the question in terms of are we going to is, is 2018 going to be um, are, are we going to basically is this going to become truly the new normal? Right. So I don't think that Trump's going to change. But is this going to become not so I think throughout the course of this year, it's already we've talked about how stuff that would have been shocking a year or two ago is now just sort of like, oh, well, look at that. Um, so for the for 2018, it could seem more normal and that we just get used to it. And this is the way it is. Or for 2018, we could end up in a nuclear war with North Korea right. and, a, and an impeachment trial with <laughs> yes. with, you know, with the, the Mueller investigation. There could be people hauled off to jail. So, um, yeah, I don't I. Do you, I, I sort of think that 2018, so the way I think of this question, um, my totally rewording and rechanging what you were asking, is, is 2018 <laughs> going to be more exciting or more boring from, mm-hmm. from a Trump perspective? I sort of think it's going to be more exciting. That's hard to do when you think about when you look at the totality what happened this year. I, I think it hinges on those two issues you brought up, North Korea and the Mueller investigation. Depending on what ha- it, it's it's entirely possible that the Mueller investigation slows down. There's, you know, there's a few more indictments, but nothing really big. Nothing reaches Trump. And we go, eh, no big deal. Uh, same thing with North Korea, that it all sort of fizzles out. We go back to the status quo of saying North Korea needs to get rid of their missiles. They say we're not going to get rid of our missiles, but the conversation about war goes away. So that's one alternative. The other is that we move closer to war and Mueller starts going after the presidency, in which in which case we have the most insane year ever. They're, they're vacuuming in the hallway again. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so Why? There's nobody here. It's, it's got to be a clean place. <laughs> so I, I think I think we see one, one of the other. One is a more boring year, but even a more boring Trump year is still more exciting, if that's the right word, than any other normal presidency in terms of the chaos. <laughs> uh, but the alternative, a more extravagant year is really really dangerous for both the institution of the presidency and the world as a whole in terms of nuclear war it it seems like the the sort of mobilization against trump or mobilization from the left in the last year has come sort of on two on on, in sort of two uh i don't know two types um one of which is opposition to policy right so you've had the opposition to um the obamacare stuff less so in the tax stuff, but certainly towards the, the immigration stuff, the, you know, the Muslim ban, all of that stuff. And then there's also been this, this kind of mobilization that's really anti-Trump. That's about like the, the, the assault on the institutions and this belief that he is, you know, an illegitimate president and, and you've got the Russia investigation and whatnot. I, it will be, it will, most of it, I think if that second part start starts to die down, if the Mueller investigation, I don't know, doesn't reveal much or reveals, you know, you can't link Trump to it or we kind of there, there's a there's a chance that Trump becomes normalized in the sense of we just start to accept him as another president. And then the mobilization is just along policy lines. And that goes back to being sort of 
normal politics, right? That's like Barack Obama or Bill Clinton <laughs> never, or George never Bush. Gonna or never going to happen. <laughs> you don't think? I, I don't he'll think so. It, he'll keep it interesting because he'll say crazy stuff, but I don't... I, when you think about the way in which he conducts politics, it doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for the day-to-day, or not the day-to-day, he wants to win the day-to-day news wars, but he can't think long-term about legislation and some of those other issues. So I just, I, mean, I don't know. I, that, that seems to be like a, a long shot. Uh, and if that does happen, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'd be shocked. But maybe he could evolve. So I don't think it will ever be normal, but I think if, if if the conversation becomes more about policy and less about Russia and these other things, but I, you're probably right in that I don't know that Trump could allow that to happen. He has to be the center of everything. So I, I sort of think he will bring it back to himself, even even if that's to the detriment <laughs> right. of his policy agenda. Right, right. So he's got to be the center, and there always has to be a battle. There's always got to be some war. There's got to be an enemy. Either it's you know women or it's Democrats or it's North Korea. He's got to have that other or, or Hillary Clinton to bash. So I think there has to be somebody that he attacks. Hey, that's another interesting question. Who is that in 2018? Is it still Democrats or there, are there new enemies to find? Because yeah, they're so hateable. <laughs> yes. They're so easily hateable. <laughs> We're a year in, and he's still bashing Hillary Clinton. He's still re-debating. He's still debating the election. That's not going to change. No. <laughs> if we think a little bit more about the Mueller investigation, no, do we, no. Do we want to make predictions uh, about what we think is going to happen happen there? Do we do we see this becoming a bigger deal or fizzling out? Do we have a sense of or, or make want to make some bold predictions about what 2018 brings? I I've been so wrong on all this shit. <laughs> I I I can't even fathom what's actually going cuz like we said he's very slow and methodical and he's not really showing his cards on anything. And you know, it's been what? I guess it's been like a month or something like that since we've had any major development like that's an actual long period of time, yeah. but for this past year I guess it kind of is. Um I I really I really don't know because I've I'm now in a kind of a, a lulled sense of security and things or whatever he's not going to find anything and the second I say it's going to be tomorrow yeah. it will be tomorrow something will come out <laughs> as soon as this fucking thing right. posts and I'm going to look like an asshole again <laughs> Phil so I, I'll make uh, my bold <laughs> prediction is that in in the next year. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, Mueller. I mean, he's clearly methodically putting something together. He is going to take down somebody very close to Trump. Um, I think that's probably Don Jr. or Kushner, maybe both are going to get caught up in this. Um, I think that he there will be evidence that that links the president to Russia um, to some form of collusion or, and or probably and obstruction of justice. Um, that's where my prediction ends because that's where it becomes unpredictable because I don't know what Trump will do in terms of pardons. I don't know that Republicans in Congress will um, do anything to act on it. Um, I think it could take him down. I, he could be forced to resign. The, his party could push him out. I think he could do nothing and his party does nothing. Um, a lot of it will depend on the midterm elections. But I think in terms of the Mueller investigation, I think it's only going to get juicier and other people, bigger people closer to the president are going to go down in the next year. I think about it as we've got we've got a, a Mueller, a law and order man. Right. I mean, this is what he does. He wants to enforce the law. And you've got Trump 
who has a lifetime of wanting to skirt the law in terms of business practices, and then he surrounds himself with criminals. I mean, that's the reality, that these are the people that he wants to work with and be close to. So there absolutely is more for Mueller to do. And I think you're right, Phil, that it's likely to to reach those higher levels of the presidency, or at least, you know, like you said, Don Jr., Kushner. But my sense is that given the deal that Flynn got, Mueller is thinking more strategically about higher levels, and he's also thinking about the way in which Trump is going to respond to all of this. So I I wouldn't be shocked if, if a whole bunch of people go down and we see just wave after wave of indictments. But similar to you, I'm not sure how Trump responds to all that. That's the wild card. Some, you know, I, I don't think he's going to respond the way Nixon did because uh, he's not as smart as Nixon. He's not as strategic as Nixon is. <laughs> he's going to lash out. He may start pardoning people. That could, uh, to our earlier conversation, that could lead to absolute chaos and a true constitutional crisis, you- which would be the story of the year. Can you see him? So let's say like incredibly damning evidence came out. Could you see him ever stepping down? I, I have a hard time imagining him ever stepping down. No, no Nixon was really reluctant more. to, yeah. but eventually was sort of convinced of it. But I, I can't see Trump stepping aside by members of Congress who came and said, we're going to impeach you unless you step down. I'm not sure to your earlier point. I'm not sure if Republicans would be willing to do that. And if you think about the way in which the Trump administration has undermined the media, undermined objectivity and the truth, I mean, they've set themselves up to make this about partisanship, not about the law. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. It's very, very unlikely that he would step down. Well, yeah, that's realistically, that's an admission of guilt, too. Like, he's not he's just not going to do it. And the second he does that, I mean, his not that his base matters at that point, but it completely discounts his viewpoint if he doesn't step down then it's a witch hunt you know going after him and his ideals and by proxy anybody who voted for him or supports him so he's he's never going to do that he's be real people yeah right but Mueller is about as good of a a foe as you could find I mean he's not going to be persuaded by partisanship so this yeah this this will be fun to watch play out oh god yeah (laughs) Do we even want to talk about beers? Do we care? Oh, we should. We should. Yeah, let's talk about beers. Okay. Yeah. I feel like we're drinking. We're we drinking beers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Phil, do you want to? You want to start this us off? This is such a different feel. This episode. <laughs> I know. We're gonna. We're gonna lose all those listeners that we've added up over the years. That over likes time. our structure. <laughs> I know. Promise it'll go back to normal next week. Yeah. Uh, I just had. I had a harpoon IPA today, um, <laughs> which I. I. Uh, I like I like uh, I don't do y'all have do you have harpoon I don't know how far how widely distributed harpoon is I don't think I don't I haven't yeah. se- I know I've had it I haven't this is what the beer it. can looks like yeah no I haven't seen that is there a tiger on that can it is it is so I guess I mean it's it's they they're in Vermont and in Massachusetts they have they have breweries and um I yeah harpoon IPA is is around a lot up here I I like it it's a good it's a good hoppy IPA but it's not too it's not too heavy. It's I, I enjoy it. I had a, a bunch of them in my fridge, and I will probably drink another when I get home. Sounds good. Nice. Uh, let's see. We had uh, Eastside uh, Dark Lager from Lakefront Brewery uh, out of Milwaukee, um, one of our standards. Mm-hmm. I like this. I don't normally like dark lagers. Yeah. This was good. It, it had was. a nice kind of almost chocolatey taste to it. It was. Um uh, <clears throat> but not uh, not overly heavy. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. A lot of dark dark beers, dark lagers in particular, are so heavy. This 
this was sort of medium in terms of its heaviness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, it's, it's called the East Side, which is my favorite part of Milwaukee. So Phil came up to Milwaukee a couple times, and one time I took him over to the East Side. We went out and went to all my favorite establishments, including is that, for... Is that where Jeffrey Dahmer lived? <laughs> no, he was, he was more West Side. More West Side, okay. <laughs> so including a, a bunch of breakfast places where in Milwaukee, when you get a Bloody Mary, it comes with a beer. And usually lots of bacon and other things as well. Great. So I love the Midwest. <laughs> yes. It was pretty great. So East Side of Milwaukee is one of my I favorite I don't understand places. why obesity is a problem there. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Wisconsin and Texas, uh, they're just always up there in those annual uh, measures of weight. So can go with the other one? Yeah, the other beer we had was also from Lakefront Brewery. It's their uh, their IPA. So it's they just they name it the IPA. And this I actually I like this one. It's a lighter IPA. We've had a lot of IPAs lately that kind of heavy and when you're done with them they weigh on you you don't always feel so good this one seems a little more citrusy a little Mm. bit lighter um not spectacular in terms of taste but very very drinkable yes just like this week's podcast a little lighter not spectacular (laughs) but (laughs) not as much structure more free form but still drinkable still drinkable still still tolerable (laughs) um god we talked about a lot of shit already one maybe one more topic i'm kind of curious about your guys view on is his foreign policy. And that was yeah. one thing as I was looking back and thinking about everything that he's done this year. And when you look at whether he's been effective in terms of policy, when you think about foreign policy, there's been a lot that's been done. So we have the travel ban. Uh, he officially pulled the United, St- United States out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Paris Climate Accord. He's been attacking the Iran nuclear deal. He's attacked NATO. He's attacked Syria with uh, missiles after their use of chemical weapons, moved the embassy to Jerusalem, uh, basically kicked ISIS out of uh, Syria and Iraq. I mean, they're gone. Yeah, it has been very consequential in terms of foreign policy agendas. So would we consider this success? I mean, I guess how do we grade his overall foreign policy in terms of what's been done and, and the content of that? Well, I mean... We don't really know the results of the whole embassy thing yet. He hasn't actually moved it to Jerusalem. It's pissed as off of a lot of people. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the UN was, they, they wrote him a strongly worded letter on that, <laughs> right. as they do. Well, we still have Palau and Micronesia and a handful of other states. Yeah. Guatemala. Did you guys hear that Guatemala is now moving their embassy to Jerusalem as well? Yeah, as they should. <laughs> so. It's where all the cool kids go. <laughs> Oh, Guatemala. I, I wonder what Guatemala is getting out of this deal. <laughs> I'm kind of shocked that they have an embassy in Israel. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, the TPP. I mean, realistically, whether Hillary or Trump won, we probably weren't going to sign on to that. That's true. So uh, the climate but, accord. I, I don't really care. Um, so, he's running away from the world, Nick. He's running away. Whatever. <laughs> so. The, the, the TPP and the Paris seem like straight up pretty, I mean, pretty straightforward uh, campaign promises that he followed yeah, right. through on, right? Yeah. Most of the other stuff, the, the Jerusalem thing is a, is a little different, but most of the other stuff that he's done in foreign policy has been reactionary, right? We talk about him as a reflex machine, right? He just He's just responding to stuff that happens, um, whether it's North Korea testing stuff, whether it was chemical weapons in Syria, whether it's you know, his meetings with NATO and Saudi Arabia. I mean, these are largely he he is responding to I, I don't see like a clear uh, doctrine or a strategy out, out there. Um, but you were saying, like, would you has he been effective or how would you grade him? So as a as a you know, somebody who 
you know, teaching U.S. foreign policy, like looking at it, like in terms of what I think of as good foreign policy, I think it's not I think it's fairly disastrous. But in terms of what he's wanting to accomplish, it seems like he's been very effective um, in terms of, you know, if you think about America first and we're looking out for ourselves first and foremost and all of these old alliances and sort of the old way of doing things. Screw that. I'm doing what needs to be done for America. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he has been more effective in terms of reshaping U.S. foreign policy than in, t- in terms of reshaping domestic policy. So, yeah, I don't I don't like the results that are coming from it, but the effectiveness is certainly there. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I think there's a big difference between domestic and international. In domestic, they floundered. They they haven't been able to get much done. But yeah, foreign policy wise, they've done a tremendous amount. And I, I think most of it has been bad. I, Trump criticized the Obama administration for leading from behind, from withdrawing, from leadership. And as I look at their role in the world, they have pulled the United States out of a position of hegemony. And are now basically running and hiding. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, whether or not you agree with the specifics of that trade deal, that was a an agreement that would allow the United States to stay present in Asia in terms of leading economic policy there. Uh, I think he's been weak with Russia. He's been weak with China. Uh, the, the very criticism that he attacked Obama for, I think he's been much, much worse in terms of having a global presence. But that all depends on on the begin the starting point of of you know it depends on what your goal is right. right. Um, if you don't value U.S. leadership, if you see international politics sort of skeptically, and you see the U.S. is doing all of the heavy lifting and all the hard work for the U.N. and for NATO and all these other countries relying on the U.S., then doing what we have done is leadership, right? It's this making the hard decision of saying, screw you, right? It's giving the middle finger to the rest of the world and saying, we're, you can't rely on us to take care of everyone. We're going to do it our way. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, Bill, in that it, uh, there, are, there are real long-term costs to giving up US, the U.S.'s sort of leadership role in international politics. But if you're a Trump supporter or you were voting for him, I don't, I, they wouldn't see it as him doing what he criticized Obama for. They see him as he's doing, he's finally being strong, right? He's standing up to people and saying, uh, you know, Obama, you know, was, was sort of neither here nor there, right? He was involved in Syria, but not enough to actually do anything. And Trump is doing stuff, right? It might, it might be bad, but he's doing it. (laughs) I guess that's right. I would, yeah, you're right. Effective. But when I think about us strategic interests, I think the, the number one, issue we need to think about is China's desire to control global politics. And on issue after issue, we seem to be giving up the mantle to say we're not going to push back on this issue. And and I think what happened after the United States pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership is all those states then looked to China to say, hey, why don't you lead this conversation? And whether we're talking about workers' rights or democracy or human rights, we've given that that up and and I, you're right, Phil. Trump doesn't care about those things. Right. But for a lot of other Americans and a lot of Democrats and Republicans, those were bread and butter issues of U.S. global leadership. Yeah, you go go back to the 1950s or yeah. 60s and suggest that the U.S. shouldn't be a leader in the world. It would be right. Yeah, I mean that would be yeah. unheard of. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like you were saying, Phil. I I, I think a lot of <clears throat> certainly Trump's base and a lot of people on on the Republican end of the spectrum don't necessarily agree that, and I personally don't agree that all of these 
trade agreements um, or f uh, foreign policy agreements in general are necessarily in the best interests of the United States. And there is an argument to be made that simply being a part of those to keep your stature as the lone hegemonic superpower in the world is not necessarily a good thing because it ends up hurting domestic interests more than anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, while I understand the impetus to be part of something that's that influential, I don't necessarily trust the institutions to be effective at making those agreements work for the best interest of the American people. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> Go ahead. No, I, I don't want to interrupt you. If you were, I thought you were done. You're no, done. I, <clears throat> no, I'm just choking. Um, no, the the other point that I wanted to make, what we started the conversation with, if you're talking about it from a tactical perspective as opposed to a strategic perspective, especially in the situation of, of ISIS, who Obama famously called the, the JV team mm -hmm. of um, uh, international terrorism he, or something he, like that. He was wrong about that. He was kind yeah. of wrong about that. Whether you agree with the the methods that are being used now, you can't say that they haven't been driven out of large portions of areas that they took over when you're talking about Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, it's that's that's not an insignificant thing. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, but I, you you also have to be careful. It's like saying it's like Trump claiming uh, the claiming credit for all of the economic Stock market. Uh, for the stock oh, market. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah, um, I'm not saying he is even close to you know being the the primary reason that that occurred, but I think that there was a change in policy that at least in the short term has driven them out of areas that they were. The the fact that they were holding that much territory in this day and age is fucking ridiculous. So while we see people that are still influenced by them, it's become much more of a subversive almost al-qaeda-like organization as opposed to you know a freestanding um standing army um caliphate that uh, again just shouldn't exist again not saying he's the primary reason but he is a reason that that happened or the change in um tactical um uh perspective is a reason for that yeah Another this is sort of unrelated, it's, um, but going back, talking about foreign policy is there, there's a it's easy to point to or to look at uh, Trump foreign policy in general, as you were talking about, Bill, as this sort of withdrawal from international leadership. But this is where the, the, the fact that there is no real doctrine matters, because that's not the, like that is the case on some things. But if 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 Trump really wanted a sort of isolationist withdrawal from international politics, we would not have ongoing debates with North Korea. We would not be trying to lead the world into moving us, moving the capital of Israel to Jerusalem. Um, we would not be, you know, there, there are a number of things in which it, it is like Trump. It's sort of a pick and choose, right? It's not, there's not a consistent policy behind this. And so that's where the whole like U.S. first withdrawal from international politics really falls short. It, it that works when it's convenient for Trump, but when it's not convenient, it, it he you know he's still going to be. It, it's really a Trump first yes, policy, yes. right? The, the other interesting thing to me is that there are a lot of stories that we're not telling, or, or or issues that are no longer important to this administration, in specific climate change, where they've said this is this doesn't matter. Yet this year we've had three massive hurricanes. 
most of California is on fire, right? We're seeing climate play out in a variety of ways around the world where even the Defense Department says this is still a major, if not the most significant national security issue, but the country is not really doing much about it. And this is in some ways a wasted year where there could have been something. I don't think the Paris Climate Accord would have solved the issue, but it may have led to better conversations about that. And we may look back on this to say that we squandered away time when we could have been thinking as an international community more about how to confront this this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nobody wanted to respond to that. No, no, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, in in some ways, this is where you get. Uh, this is where you could argue that Trump is a more a more traditional Republican. So in lots of ways, he's not. But in the kind of classic business, let the market decide, you know, keep government out of it in terms of the, the Trump has been very kind of traditionally Republican in terms of, you know, opening up, reducing the size of national lands, opening up uh, more land for and 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 ocean for uh, for for drilling, seal reducing killing. environmental regulations, seal killing. Yes. Seal killing. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And that that is, you know, that's. That's pretty traditional, yeah. right? I think that that probably has widespread support amongst the, the Republican Party for the most part. I, I mean, you can make the argument that lowering the corporate tax rate could do a lot of favors for alternative energy companies, private businesses, um, while they may be getting less subsidies from the government specifically targeted at, targeted at them. Smaller companies that are in those specific fields might have more opportunity now. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you may not need the government to to hold their hand anymore. And well, that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Except, you're, except you're no welcome. one can go to grad school in science <laughs> anymore. Right. Well, no, nobody <laughs> actually needs that. <laughs> I don't yeah. need to wrap up, but if we want to make one final prediction, do we think Donald Trump is still in office when we do the 2018 year in review? Where are you? Is he still in office or is Mike Pence or somebody else running the show? So my prediction, uh, the thing I, I, my prediction that I will come to, that I'll stick with for now is a year from now, Donald Trump is still in office, but soon to be on his way out. Mm. It'll be after the 2018, the, after the midterm elections, you're, you're going to have, I think, um, he, he'll still be in power, but I don't, I tend to think he won't make it through all four years. Okay. Okay. So in office, but, but t- trending out. Yep. I, I think he will be in office and uh, he will have put himself in a panic room that they can't get him out of. In the White House. Yes. Some, they just can't get him out. It's like a tick. So he's been impeached, but he won't leave. He just won't leave. Yeah. yeah he's a bad house guest at that point. I tend to think he's still here in 2018. I, I I would have thought all the things that happened in 2017, if we if we had had this conversation a year ago, I yep. would have thought there's no way he makes it through a year, and he did, and he is still going strong mm-hmm. uh, in in a Trumpian way. But yeah, that's, I don't know if I'd say strong, but <laughs> he's still going. <laughs> that's true. He's going bigly. Oh well, this was a fun years, guys. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a fun years. Oh. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's. I actually feel better about things after talking. Yes, like like we did. We were surprisingly positive about things. Yeah, which which I don't very... know if we were right. Maybe we no, just needed a positive not. conversation. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. No, whatever. Drinks no. all. Yeah. It's the end of the year. I would gladly exchange. Um, 
uh, a, a less exciting podcast for a, a sort of a more sane year in politics <laughs> next year. <laughs> Things could e- ease out, and that means that like it's not as fun to listen to our podcast. I'd I'd be okay with that. Good for the world, bad for barstool yeah. politics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair trade. We need to start making money from this. <laughs> damn right. it! Yes. <laughs> no, we need salacious shit. This is a perfect transition to shameless plugs. <laughs> shameless plugs. Yes. Um, if you like this very. Um, positive, uh, unicorny type conversation that we've been having. Uh, like us on Facebook, and that's the wrong slider that I'm sliding. Um, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Uh, comments, uh, beer suggestions, topics you want us to talk about, um, Barstool Politics at yahoo.com. Uh, beers we try, you can find on the Untapped app that you can download from. Uh, uh, the App Store um, or whatever Android has. I can never remember that. The Google Shop, right? Is that what, what they call Google it? Play? Google, Google Play. Google Play. Is that what Something, it is? I don't know. Stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, and then find the <clears throat> uh, like us and uh, share us on iTunes and SoundCloud as well. Um, that helps us tremendously. Anything else that I'm forgetting? No, that's great. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Happy guys. Happy New Year, guys. Happy, Happy New Year. Year. We'll, Happy New Year. We'll go back to normal format next week. Okay. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers.